Hey, Colin, Aaron Clark here, California. How are you, man? It's been a little while since I listened to your podcast. I was just catching up with some uh, some old news from Ray Otis and Jason Hobbs, and I popped in to see what was going on with Spike Pit. Good times. Thanks for the tip about Google Keep. I'll have to look at that. Voice memos to text. That's a good deal. Let's see if I can keep it to 60 seconds. Oh, and thanks for the reminder about Essex and Suffolk. When I was at university, I had a girlfriend from Essex. Not your typical Essex girl, mind you. Nice girl from Little Village. And Suffolk, I had my university break in my third year. I visited a family home out there, and it was beautiful. So I hope you're having a great summer holiday. guess I'm out of time. Talk soon, man. Keep it up. Keep rocking the mics. Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. Now, it's Sunday. I picked up this call when I woke up this morning. Made my day. That was Aaron C. Great guy. Had so much fun gaming online with Aaron. It's virtually the other side of the world for me. California, that is a long, long way away. And haven't heard from Aaron um, I've thought about him a number of times and I found he, he um, did some recordings about keeping things simple and um, really inspiring and encouraging stuff. I, I'm, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know what to say that other than if you're listening, Aaron, I hope you're doing well, mate, and really, really good to hear from you i'm glad you're picking up with some of the other uh yeah old some of our other old buddies like sir jason hobbs who we, we played in calmata together of course um yeah really nice start to my sunday morning and i followed followed that call up with some um dead of winter flick them up flick them up dead of winter playing with my son so um it's, it's got a little bit of a gaming theme today. And uh, talking of gaming, let's get into some gaming chat. Cheers, Aaron. Thanks for opening the show. Oh, and talking about the show, yep, yeah, got some gaming chat. Kicking off with uh, Arlen Walker. He's talking about conditions. And this is a, an older message that, I, that I'll explain in a moment. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about what I kind of regard as the main theme, if you can, for the show. It's talking about memory and system mastery. And then some mention of what's coming down the pike. And it's to do with technology. So a little bit of a, a request for feedback and ideas. And if you've got something to say around technology, technology, listen up for that at the end of the show. Uh, I have got a couple of book recommendations as well. Um, but I think I'm going to leave them to the next episode because we've all already got a reading right in the middle of this one. Now, I like to think I'm a man of my word and I do what I say I'm going to do. And I believe 
it was a call in to Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, where I said I'd try and find some previous recordings about exhaustion and the exhaustion, con- the exhausted condition, and, and the rules in and around that for for D and D. Now, I've unable uh, so far. I've been unable to track down Arlen's call, and I'm now wondering if I, uh, in fact, misremembered the details of that call. But what I did find, and as a, a way to kind of partially deliver on my my promise, I've, I've got some call-ins where Ireland's talking about conditions, but in this case, it's... I, I thought originally it was really interesting. I still think it's really interesting, and it's using conditions with um, as a way to manage treasure in the game. So... Let's hear once again what Arlen had to say on the topic. Take it away, Arlen. Hey, Colin, it's Arlen. I'm going to suggest an even further simplification than usage die for treasure. What I'm going to say is every time you come back to town for each individual thing of treasure, so like a sack of coins or a handful of gems, or a single large gemstone that you know fits in the palm of your hand or something. You have 1d6 of days where you're going to have a new condition. You're going to have two new conditions. You're going to have flush with cash and dead broke. And the idea is when you return to town, you turn all your treasure into days where you're flush with cash. So let's say each character has... Um, one, two sacks of coins, everybody rolls 2d6. That's how many days they get where they're flush with cash. So the first day they have to spend resting up and recovering. But every day after that, they can do one thing per day and they get a charisma bonus for having lots of extra cash, right? So they can't buy any magic items directly with the treasure, but they can go to the temple and ask for healing potions and make a donation or something like that, right? You can't buy magic swords. You can't buy magic armor. You have to find that sort of stuff mostly, but you can ask to use some resources and you get a charisma bonus for being flush with cash because you're making donations, you're giving gifts, you're doing all that sort of stuff. Once days with fl- of flush with cash runs out, you're back to dead broke and you're not allowed to buy anything at all. You're sleeping in the streets. You're rubbing your last two coppers together to buy food. Everything is just, you know, you're totally out of luck and you better go out adventure and get some more cash, right? That's the basic idea is that instead of, Instead of counting all of your coins, all that sort of stuff, trying to manage your money, you're behaving basically like a, um, a pirate or a brigand or something like that where you're used to not having any money. So when you have money, you just spend it. You don't save it. Right? There's no banks. There's nothing like that in this you know, medieval fantasy world. You just spend the money on all sorts of useless crap. So the first day you come back from... So uh, from being out in the wilds, the first day you're back in civilization, you heal up back to full and you um, get all of your your gear back. So you refill all your arrows, you refill your rations, and your water skins, all of your stuff gets back to good condition. And after that, you get as many days as you rolled 
for your treasure to do stuff in town to take care of anything that you need to take care of. And then you better go back out into the wilderness to go get some more treasure because you're an adventurer. That's how you make your money, right? You're not a smith. You're not a, a Fletcher or something like that. You make your money adventuring. So anyway, that's my idea is that basically um, everything you do in town while you're flush with cash, you have a charisma bonus. You get to kind of not, you don't have to worry about spending money. Most stuff, you just ask the DM and say, hey, DM, can I, you know, buy a new sword? And the DM says, yeah, of course, you're flush with cash. Um, maybe if you want it to be like a particularly special sword, you make a charisma check to see if you, or a persuasion check to see if you get that particularly special sword. But anyway, the basic idea is two conditions flush with cash and dead broke. When you're flush with cash, you just have the cash you need for stuff. And when you're dead broke, you don't. So you better go out and adventure for it. That's my idea. And if you're interested in hearing more from Arlen, and let's face it, why wouldn't you be? Check him out on Live from Pelham's Wasteland. He's on YouTube. Uh, he's on Anchor and all your usual podcatchers. Yeah, check him out. He's got lots of good ideas, and particularly around close combat. I I, I like to hear Arlen talking about the, the nitty-gritty of combat and different ways that games well this is another recurring theme for him the way that games and rules can invoke specific feelings and genres um yeah really interesting stuff and i recommend you take a listen looping back round to something that aaron mentioned at the beginning of the show there google keep i was talking about google keep for a note taking in generally in recent episode i was talking about the the benefits of taking notes and mentioned that some research had looked into this specifically in relation to the cornell note taking method i believe and joe my old buddy from hindsight list is called in questioning this research and i'm going to play his message but it sent me off down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I was wondering, you know, what does all this mean in terms of RPGs? And maybe it's a little bit of a tenuous link, but looking at memory and something we talk about often, uh, GM's system mastery. It's come up in recent conversation on uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, in fact, talking about VTTs. Um, I've spoken about it and I think underlying the discussion around kind of crunchy rule systems and simple rule systems i think some of that relates back to this idea of rule mastery and if you're struggling struggling to come to grips with a set of rules and you want to be fluent and have system mastery it makes sense that some of these games that are a little bit uh, less complex should we say perhaps uh aid you in in achieving that mastery because there's this lack of detail these memory techniques this note taking and other methods i'm suggesting here maybe you can actually work on your recall and study again and use some of this science around memory to actually help you with your uh, your your mastery of a system especially if you're new to a game so let's hear what Joe had to say anyway, and then I'll 
get into the memory discussion straight after that. Yo, Colin, so I can't remember if this conversation about the studies that purport to show students retaining more information when they write down notes first as opposed to typing them first came up on your show before or on another show, but I feel like I've talked about it before, so I'll talk about it again since it came back up. I'd be willing to bet those studies didn't take into account students with disabilities or students who learn in different ways. Like, if you can't see to write or if you're physically incapable of writing notes or if you learn in a different way, writing notes first isn't going to be a help, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. Those those types of studies always make me wonder, you know, how many students were actually studied in them and all that stuff. But fascinating topic, man. Anyway, back to the show. Peace out. So to answer... Joe, um, perhaps I could find a little bit more detail, and this is dependent on my recollection. I believe the study was based around using specifically Cornell notes as opposed to typing information onto a laptop during a lecture. Now, the trouble with any of these type of studies is you're only tending to look at a, a generalised and average figure that is output at the end of the study, or the, or the people that are perhaps doing the study, they're looking in, in more depth. But typically what happens is when these results are interpreted by others, they, they pick out you know the main thrust of the study. And in this case... Um, you know, there there may well have been students that that had some kind of uh, disability, should we say, in, in terms of being able to write and type and, and things like that, and maybe issues with their sight. I don't know, but I I would imagine that might have um, actually barred them from the study because if they were strictly looking at typing with a laptop and and writing notes handwritten notes following the Cornell system I would imagine that if you were unable to do either of those you would have been discounted from the study because they were specifically looking at that I'm sure there are there are other studies that take into account different methods um, it it would be interesting to find out. I mean, I'm particularly interested in how audio inputs uh, compared to maybe reading or watching something, visual inputs, what sort of impact those different inputs make on, on your learning. Um, so it is an interesting question. I, I, I don't think um, it. this was ever suggested to be a, a one-size-fits-all solution. And I think the point Jason was talking about, the process of going back over, uh, a student going back over their notes, then needing to summarise uh, and take out key points and then rewriting them, which is 
involved with the Cornell note-taking method, I think that is probably where a lot of the learning goes on because you're having to think about what is pertinent originally when you're taking the notes and then once again you're summarising and making decisions about the key points to include in your summary. That's another process of like considering all that information again. Now obviously you could do that with um, various different methods but it's that, that reviewing that is perhaps more important um, and I would have to go back to the study to see whether the the folks that were, were typing were going through a similar review process or not. But I, I'm guessing the logic is somehow by writing, there's you're more involved physically or you've got a, a better connection to the, the page and the media you're using. Whereas although typing is still physical, is there one... Uh, one more kind of level of uh, disconnection because you, you're not you're kind of like you're not literally touching the screen uh, I don't know it's an interesting one and if this if this was a super scientific and rigorously researched podcast I, I really would have done my homework um, maybe I will anyway but cheers for the call Joe most people see human memory as a kind of recording device. Things that are experienced are recorded in some way, and over time, unless they are constantly refreshed, these recordings decay. If we cannot recall facts or events, we tend to assume that the memories of those facts or events have decayed so much that they have disappeared. However, it turns out that things are a little more complex and interesting than that. Many people cannot recall the license plate number of their very first car and assume that the number has been forgotten. But if they were shown a list of 10 license plates, most people would easily be able to recognise the number, which would not be possible if the number had really been forgotten. The memory is still there. What is hard is retrieving it. The same insight provides an explanation of the tip of the tongue phenomenon. The fact that people cannot recall something at a particular time, but they know that they know it and are often able to recall it a short time later, especially if they stop trying to recall it. Other things can be easily recalled at a given point in time, but are never effectively learned. For example, most people can remember the number of their hotel room during the stay, but weeks later cannot recall it. More important, they would not be able to pick out the number from a list of numbers. While the number is easily recalled during the stay, it is not effectively learned in the sense of changing long-term memory. In an extensive research program spanning almost 40 years, Robert Bjork and his colleagues researched how our memories actually work, which is well summarised in Soderstrom and Bjork, 2015. This research shows that human memory works very differently from physical or digital storage mechanisms. For example, with physical or digital storage, retrieval does not change the stored information, nor any other information. In contrast, scientists have discovered that when humans retrieve things from memory, the retrieved material becomes more memorable and, more surprising, things that are not retrieved become less easy to retrieve in the future. Robert Bjork suggests that there are two aspects of memory that determine how easy things are to recall, which he calls storage strength and 
Retrieval Strength, Bjork and Bjork 1992. Storage Strength is an indication of how well something has been learned, while Retrieval Strength is how easy something is to recall at a given moment in time. Storage Strength is a one-way street. It can increase, but it cannot decrease, except perhaps through injury to the brain. On the other hand, retrieval strength goes up and down independently of storage strength. Not using a particular memory causes its retrieval strength to fall, and recalling something causes retrieval strength to rise. However, retrieval strength is limited, so increasing the retrieval strength of some items in memory decreases the retrieval strength of other things. This may seem rather arcane and irrelevant, but there are two key findings from the research of Robert Bjork and others that have huge impact implications for learning in general and feedback in particular. The first is that storage strength increases every time an item is restudied or retrieved from memory, but successfully retrieving something from memory increases storage strength more than restudying the same item. The second is that the harder it is to retrieve something from memory, the greater the positive impact on storage strength. In other words, successfully retrieving something from memory generates more learning when retrieval strength is low than when it is high. When there are in Robert Bjork's 1994 memorable phrase, desirable difficulties in learning. And that excerpt was a reading taken from a book that I'm currently reading called Embedded Formative Assessment. It's the second edition of Dylan Williams' book on the subject. And the excerpt is page 136 to 138, uh, a chapter about providing feedback that moves learning forward. Colin, thank you for your last show, The Colin Show, Into the Pit. I thought that was great. And you bring up some interesting points of technology. I, I realize paperwhite Kindles aren't new technology, but <laughs> I, I, I should probably look into that. And I should probably look into the tablets where you can write with the, with the pen to simulate taking manual notes. Um, I'm such a Luddite. I don't know if I will or not, but who knows. And yeah, I'll, I'll get some pictures of my GM notebook up to you at some point. So anyhow, keep up the great work and we'll talk to you soon. Now, this is going to be the third time mentioning him, and you know what that means. He's probably going to pop up like a candy man at some point, and most welcome he is too, unlike the candy man. Let's face it, who wants that geezer popping up? Um, but I'm going to come back to Jason's call in a future episode. I've been reading a book called What Technology Wants, and it's a fascinating read. I'm not going to go into it any more than that now, but you've got something to say about technology in gaming if you're perhaps claiming to be a bit of a, a luddite like jason and I, i'm gonna even question that as well next episode um yeah call it in call it in i'm gonna close out the episode there and leave you with some well wishes once again from the man opening the show so good to hear from him it's aaron c uh, with some uh, kind words of encouragement and I want to flip that back and encourage you the listener to um, remember we've we've got a certain span of time make the most of it just make the most of it oh in other news it sounds like you've got a bit of a career change eh cutting over to teaching that's what it sounds like to me good on you man that's uh it's always been a dream of mine but I 
haven't actually tried to do pull the plug on the corporate world and cut over to the academic. Maybe one day, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, man, good on you. And that, as they say, is a wrap. Big thanks goes out to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to Old Spike Pit. Take care, and I'll catch you later.